0: Alright, so welcome to the GMB Show. This is Andy, and today I am talking to Shane Parrish from Farnham Street, which is one of my very favorite websites on the internet. So, how are you doing, Shane? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Excellent. Uh, You want to give just kind of like a brief
1: description of sort of
0: who you are and what Farnham Street's about?
1: Oh, yeah. So, Farnham Street is an online intellectual hub um, that's geared towards helping people make better decisions. And I'm the author behind it. It started with my MBA when I wasn't learning what I needed to learn in school about how the world really worked to make consequential decisions. And so I started self-educating myself, and this is the journey that I've taken.
0: Very cool. And a lot of that journey and a lot of the things that you write about seem to be centered around a lot of things from Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger.
1: Yeah, I think the website has always been an homage to them. It started out as the zip code to Berkshire Hathaway and it's evolved into something that people can type, which is Farnham street. Um, And it's always been an inspiration. Uh, They've always been an inspiration for me about how I think and how I see the world. And they've been exemplars in so many different categories, not only in the way that they run and operate a business, but the way that they think about things. So this is kind of my way of giving back to them.
0: That's super cool. And I think maybe, you know, it's, Strange to think about that sort of thinking being related to fitness in a lot of ways, but I read uh, a while back uh, something that Warren Buffett actually said about health. If you think about your body like a car, you know, and if you only have one that you have to drive for the rest of your life, you're going to take really good care of it, right? And so you should do the same thing with your body. And I think that that sort of thinking is really important. Um, we have to look at not just health as something that we're supposed to do, or you know, we have to eat these foods or whatever. But how do we take care of the one body that we have in the way that's going to serve us best for the rest of our lives?
1: Yeah, definitely. And we we, we don't think about it in the context of how it affects our performance as well, right? Like what you eat actually affects how you decide. When you make decisions during the day is actually affected by what you've done that day and the time of day. And we don't tend to think about those things, but you're going to make a worse decision if you have a really heavy carb lunch and you get sleepy in the afternoon than you will if you're making a decision in the morning
0: we we all have to we have to make decisions about a lot of things and for some people even just doing the things that they know they should be doing like eating you know choosing a better choice on a menu or something like that choosing to 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 work out or even even to make it less you know less uh impact choosing to just do a little bit of stretching in the morning you know making that decision to do that thing uh can be the hardest part for a lot of people it's not that we have a, a lack of information out there yeah definitely so with, with that, I really think that like one of the, the biggest things that I've taken away from reading Farnham Street uh, over the past few months that I've really been paying attention to it um, is that there's a lot of different ways that we can try to make better decisions given the information that we have. So do you want to talk a little bit about
1: sort of your framework for this kind of decision making thinking Yeah. So we we kind of believe that if you see the world for what it is, you know what to do. Um, You know, once you have no blind spots, uh, it becomes very easy to make a decision. So one of the ways to actually see the world for what it is, is a concept we call mental models, which is kind of a representation of the world itself. And there's different types of mental models. There's um, things that are psychological-based and how we fool ourselves, which are human misjudgments, and those are kind of like attribution error and envy and jealousy and hindsight bias and overconfidence. And then there's kind of simulators of time, which is the big ideas from different disciplines. And they become time simulators when you think about supply and demand and scarcity and evolution You understand the concept, and then you're trying to apply it forward to a situation that hasn't happened yet using your brain and making some sort of judgment call. And so we want to collect this wisdom and make it available for people, and then you can apply it. The way that we think about it is – adding tools to your mind's toolbox so that you're better prepared for whatever job you're showing up at. If you were building a house, you don't want to show up with just a hammer. So if you show up with all of the range of tools, you're going to build a much better product in the end than if you have a very limited number of tools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I live in a very small place in Honolulu, and my actual number of tools I own is something like six. You know, so if it comes to anything that's broken around here, there's very limited things that I can do with it. But when I was growing up, my father uh, was kind of a handyman and liked to build things. And so, basically, anything that we could dream up, we could build it at home. And I, it took me a long time to get used to not being able to do that. Actually, so it's really important. I think looking at it as mental tools is something that is uh, super interesting. What, you know, so you know, GMB, we talk a lot about health, but I know that you also discuss productivity, and in a lot of ways, since health and productivity are about just trying to make slightly more optimal choices about how you go through the day and how you take care of things, what are some of the mental models that you've found that you return to again and again when you're giving people advice about
1: productivity? Well, I can't talk specifically about health per se, but with productivity, one thing, that we, one thing that I find particularly helpful when I'm consulting with people is small changes make a huge difference. And the small changes tend to be matching energy to task. So if you're tired, you don't want to be thinking about cognitively difficult things. Right? You want to take the most valuable time in your day, which is typically the morning for most people, and apply it to your most valuable task. That's how you lever things. So if you have big strategic projects you're working on, don't do them in the afternoon. Do them in the morning when you're at your freshest. Those types of things tend to make a huge difference because what ends up happening is you take low-value tasks, like perhaps reading the newspaper, which is a habit you've gotten into, and now you move it to later in the day. So you still do the same things, but your effectiveness has dramatically changed. The other thing that I kind of recommend to people, and it's all individualized. Like when I consult with people, we come up with things that work for you. And obviously there's no prescription that works for everybody and you have to take what works and ignore what doesn't. But the other thing that's really helpful for people is kind of just getting in routines, right? So blocking off chunks of time. Like I go, you know, for for your listeners, it might be I go to the gym every Thursday from six to seven a.m., or every day from 6 to 7 a.m. Once you have those routines, you're not like you're not struggling the night before going, when am I going to fit the gym in tomorrow? You just know I have the same time blocked off every day. And I follow the same routine, so you're putting less of a cognitive load on all of that stuff.
0: I'm talking about managing energy and specifically managing the kinds of decisions you have to make to the to the right kind of energy. As it changes it, in the day, it would
1: be really difficult, I think for people to consistently go to the gym at ten p m at night because you work a long day and it's hard and that, that's where most failures of productivity come that 's where most willpower failures come is later in the day when you're you've made all of these decisions all day, your mind is fatigued. It's just trying to rest. And then if you're adding the gym to it, you come up with excuses as to why not to do that. And you can map the gym to any task, really. And so one thing that I found that makes a huge difference in people's lives is that if you wake up earlier and go to bed earlier, you will get way more done. Because what tends to happen is we come home from work after a long day, we make supper, we feed the kids, we put them to bed. By the time the kids go to bed and we clean up, we're exhausted. And then we just want to relax. So we watch TV, we zone out, we do things that are, you know, they're, they're entertainment, which is great, but as long as we recognize that they're entertainment. But for so many people... That's a way that they're not productive and they want to be productive. And if you want to be productive, the secret to that is you just start moving your bedtime earlier and waking up earlier. Because when you wake up, you're refreshed, you're energized, you're ready to do things. You can check your email, you can go to the gym, you can do the highest priority tasks that you have, the most difficult tasks you have when you have all of this energy from waking up. Yeah and you know again nothing wrong with entertainment but it's it's
0: interesting like you said a lot of times we we try to tell ourselves that you know I'll do this later on like after the kids are in bed after I do the the dishes and after everything's finished I'll I'll set that time aside for the things I really want to be doing you know for for reading a book for learning to play an instrument for for doing my workout or for whatever whatever thing that we tell ourselves are important we try to we we try to make time for it. And the natural inclination is to do it later when we're too tired. And so you're saying that we we just will usually make the decision not to do it as well as we could if we do it at all.
1: And then on top of that, I mean, it becomes a mental to do list. So now you're, you're keeping track of all of these things that you're going to be doing. And so we run a productivity seminar at bewaymoreproductive.com. But one of the things we talk about there is that to do lists actually are horrible the way that most people use them. Most people use them as this endless list you just add things to when it 's much more effective to schedule your time in chunks every day from you know five to six. You conceptualize that i 'm making supper from six to seven i 'm eating supper with the kids and playing and you know seven o'clock we start the bedtime wind down and then you 're not thinking about when you 're going to do things. you have the habits again of how your day kind of moves. And you have the flexibility to adapt when things change, of course, but you're not constantly going, oh, uh, I need to do this. I'll do it later. Oh, I need to do this. I'll do it later. Because these are all threads that you have to keep track of. And your mind gets overwhelmed when you have so many of these threads. And not only do you forget things, but it causes fatigue in everything that you're doing. Yes, yes. And so like,
0: with with training and stuff, we also have a similar thing. It's like a to do list, and people they'll say, "Oh, I need to get stronger. Oh, I need to lose some weight, and I also need to work on uh, you know where I hurt my shoulder last year, and I need to do a little bit of stretching, and I need to work on my mobility, and you know I need to do all these things, and it becomes a super long list. And so when you think about working out. It looks like there's three hours worth of things you have to do, and it makes it really hard. You, you can't even get started because there's too much. It's looming out there. Right. You know? The
1: way that I think about this when I, when I coach people on being more productive is that those are all nice, but there's two or three of those things that are going to make the bulk of the difference do those and don't forget the other ones, but they're not nearly as important. So don't place equal emphasis on them. And if you can't prioritize, it means you really need to think about uh, what you're doing instead of just, you're not as conscious about what you're doing as you should be. Deciding on like the two or
0: three things that are going to be the most useful to you is is definitely a, a really good sort of mental model in itself. We try to tell people you know to pick like you know, the top two things, the top two goals that they really have for their training and focus on that above everything else. When it comes to like the mental models and thinking about, thinking about thinking as it were, you know, and looking at these things, if people were to, you know, go on your website and study some of the ones that you've described there, what would be a good way for them to find which of those models would be most useful to them?
1: So everybody comes to things with... Uh Preconceived experiences, which has become knowledge over time through analyzing and judging. And so everybody starts from a different place in these subjects. Our goal is not to necessarily take you from zero. Uh, all the way to the the end here, it's to hone your understanding of these ideas and allow you to apply them in different contexts. So we may all understand multiplicative systems, like if you times anything by zero, you get a zero. But we might conceptualize that in a mathematical sense and not a business sense or not a gym sense. Think about it in, in, the, in the sense of a retail outlet. Apple spends all of this time and money branding a product. And at the end of the day, if I go to the store to buy this product and the salesperson's a dick and I walk out, everything that they've done to get me to that point doesn't matter because I've left. So now we can take the concept of multiplicative systems and apply it to sales change and customer service and our life. And we can think about it. What's a multiplicative system in life? Trust is a multiplicative system in life. Once you lose trust, you've lost it. You can't rebuild it. It's not additive. If you are not in win-win situations with people, you will eventually multiply by zero. Right? So there's four permutations of relationships with people. There's win-lose. There's win-win, there's lose-win, and there's lose-lose. And only one of those systems will survive time, right? And biology teaches us, evolution teaches us that the number one thing for survival is time. And if you look at relationships in those four permutations, you discover that there's only one type of relationship that takes advantage of time, which is also how we compound things and how we get these nonlinear results. And so I've just talked about four mental models that kind of come together and form a cohesive picture of not only your relationships, but how you can think about things and how you can think about where to get advantages, how systems apply, and the relationships that we're in and how we want to go about them. If I'm in a win-lose relationship with you and you're on the losing end of that, I'm happy. But if I don't recognize that you're losing – it 's fragile because you 're looking for an exit you 're sowing the seeds of resentment you're you know it 's a fragile relationship, and the only sustainable ones are win win so we, we need to think about all of this stuff and apply it to life outside of just the con like we learn things in domains and we learn them we learn to identify them in a specific niche. And, that's part of how we're taught to learn and it might be one of the failings of our education system if there was one but they also apply outside of that and we need to like use our brains to conceptualize how this works and does evolution apply here is this a multiplicative system you know i don't know what to do because there's so much uncertainty well Here's another tool. Let's talk about inversion. And if I don't know what to do, I do know all of the outcomes I don't want. How do I avoid those outcomes? And if you eliminate the outcomes you don't want, you're probably going to get an outcome you do want. And so we, we try to help people think about the world in that way and then hone people's understanding basically through reading about how we can add to those models over time, how we can apply them to different contexts and situations and that enables us and, – and this is like the biggest product, productivity secret of all that nobody ever believes me. But when you think about what you do at work, if you work for a reasonably sized organization, and I would say that's like 50 people or more, which is the vast majority of people, you actually spend most of your time fixing terrible decisions. So if you do the investment up front to understand mental models, to think about how you're applying them, to time your decisions, to to give yourself time to actually think about the decision you're making, to argue the other side, th- these little tips and tricks, they take work up front, but they save you such an enormous amount of time later because now you're not correcting the stupidity from before. Right, right, right. And I mean, that's really obvious in, in fitness
0: too. I mean, you know, one example is, is weight loss. And not to say that somebody who needs to lose weight has been stupid in the past, but they've made decisions that, you know, in in hindsight especially were not the best ones. And so they have to spend a lot of effort on trying to reverse those suboptimal decisions before they can do the things that they wish they could be doing that might be taking them more towards you know, that, that might sound like their their nicer goals. But they have to spend a lot of time undoing things that have happened in the past. People with injuries, um, you know, people that their bodies are very stiff because they, they don't move outside of a very limited range of motion all day.
1: And then they find themselves trying to expand that no architect builds a house without a foundation of some sort, right? And they adapt the foundation to the the, the terrain that they're operating on, and our, our minds and our bodies are, are very similar to that. We can't just, this is why like most of the self-help industry is just bull because they, they they come at it from the perspective that we're all the same, and if you just do these four things, you will be a leader, you will be super fit. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? And then we have to do the cognitive load of like taking these ideas from these books and saying does this work for me in the context of my life what made it work for them in the context of their life are they really telling me something that i can apply are they not what is my foundation to build on what is the foundation i need to build on Right. And, you know, there we get into like survivorship bias, too. You know, this
0: has worked for this person. So it should work for other people, too. We look at it like an Olympic gymnast, and we think Olympics is the way to be this strong. But we don't think about all the millions of kids who sign up for gymnastics, and then don't make it to that
1: level right? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, there's tons of failure that we don't see because it's not available to us. Right, right. And so that's super common. And like you said, the
0: personal development, the nutrition, the fitness, any of these things, we're looking at a map that somebody has drawn based on their experience that worked once, maybe worked 10 times in a certain context, but how portable is that context? And we don't know until we kind of look at it in, in the light of knowing that the context is different.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I think like if you just step back for one second and think about it, like if we had figured out leadership, there would be one book on leadership. If we had figured out, <laughs> you know, nutrition and health and like the best way to exercise, there would be one book on that topic. You wouldn't need another book. But we haven't figured that out, right? Because there's so many different lifestyles. There's so many different variations of our genetics. There's so many different contexts that we're operating in, ecosystems. It's like when I talk to people about innovation, we get this really funny thing. And it, I, I talk to CEOs and what are you doing for innovation? And you know, a few years ago, everybody was copying Google. And they were like, oh, we're just doing 20% innovation time. And it's like, oh, well how does that work for you? And it's like, well, it's not working, but it sounds really good. And it's, of course it's not working, right? It's like taking a snake out of the, the desert in Phoenix and chucking it into the winter in Canada. It's not going to survive. That snake exists within the context of an ecosystem, which is a company culture that is self-reinforcing to create that outcome. You can't just tease one of these ideas out and put it in another place and expect it to survive with any degree of probability.
0: Right, right, right. And so, you know, like you said, there's, there's more than one book on things, you know, for a reason. And, you know, we, we tend to look at things and we, we see one expert say this and another expert say that, and we think, well, one of them's got to be wrong, right? And so, well, my, my guru knows what's best and yours is an idiot. And we, we tend to overlook the fact that, that one might be right in one situation, and one might be right in another situation. Truly, one might also be an idiot. I mean, that's also a possibility, So one
1: of the the easy ways that, uh, you know, the the low-hanging fruit here is to just argue both sides of the argument in your head for a while. Like, go for a walk and just like, oh, if I was pro this, here's what I would argue. And here, if I was taking the other side, here's what I would argue. And then just Volley that back and forth for a little bit, and you will get to a much better understanding once you start abstracting, like who said what, and you know, categorizing it, and you know, a Democrat or Republican, and just start thinking about the ideas yourself outside of the context. And it's like, how would I argue against this? Is that a rational argument? Is that a logical argument? What would I say to myself making this argument, right? And, and then you then you start finding out that you know these people aren't all idiots. Sometimes they are. But, you know, there's some sort of truth to both of them. And that's where you can start blending things into your life and you'll start getting uh, better results.
0: And it's really, really useful because I, I think probably the number one email we get at GMB is, you know, I have all of these things that I want to do, but what what is the answer? But it's not in the people don't yet look at the context of how they got to where they are. So our response is almost always okay, well, tell us more about where you're at and let us understand your situation so that we can make give you good advice you know and people think that they're looking for a solution that's just kind of in a vacuum that doesn't take all those things into account. And when you do step back and look at the other side and look at you know how you got here and all the other things you have to work with, it becomes a lot easier to to figure out what is the right step forward and a lot of times when people, go through that and answer our question about where they're at and what's stopping them from the things they want, they can already see the next steps a lot more clearly.
1: Yeah, definitely, I would agree with that.
0: What advice would you have for someone that wanted to learn more about how they can can be a more, how they can better see reality, how they can be a, a clearer thinker, how they can take the first steps to trying to learn a bit of this science you know, so they can
1: you know make better
0: decisions with less stress for themselves.
1: I, I think the easiest way to do that is just start exploring subjects that you're interested in and honing your understanding of kind of the big ideas in there. And oh, th- that's the best way to get people interested in something is not to come up and you know try to climb the mountain all in one day. it's to take a subject that you already know a little bit about that you're curious about and then kind of like outline for yourselves the big ideas a lot of people find it really helpful to write memos to themselves just explaining the big ideas in whatever discipline they're looking at and then teasing in their mind like when you're on the bus instead of just looking at the window or checking your iPhone You can just tease in your mind, like, would this apply to another situation? Under what circumstances does this work? Under what circumstances doesn't this work? And you can kind of have this mental volleyball that you're just constantly playing. And that helps you through, you know, you don't need outside things to change the way that you think about things. Your mind is completely capable of changing the way that you see the world on its own. You just have to do the work. Of thinking about it, which is generating kind of a new input, and then testing it and analyzing it and revising it. And then eventually that leads to some sort of action. But don't try to look at a subject like if you're not interested in engineering, you know, I wouldn't start with something like the margin of safety, even though that applies to everything from bridges to buildings to... I would just start taking like what is it that I do for a living how do I add value at work which is a really important question that very few people think about you don't add value forwarding email like what is it you do that really adds value and then start thinking about what would make that more valuable? If I knew how to do X, Y, Z, would that make that more valuable? And what subjects and domains do they come from, right? And then that's a good way to start exploring the world. You don't necessarily need to start with mental models. You just need to start with, how do I synthesize this reality to make a bigger impact at work? Right, so instead of saying
0: what are the best mental models and then chasing after those things instead looking at yourself and your current interests and your strengths and trying to learn more about the
1: context in which those work and exploring that yeah exactly so just What are you interested in? Learn more about that and then apply it. And once you start getting these results, it's like going to the gym, right? Like if you start out and you're not going to the gym, you go to the gym, you start seeing results. It becomes this, you know, self-reinforcing loop. You kind of want that with learning too. Mental models are one place to start. They're niche. They're for very curious people. And they take some sort of cognitive work on your part to be able to apply them it might be more effective and a quick win for people to just start thinking about like, how do I add value at work? What skill or habit do I need to develop to make that a lever? So a lot of people, when you start thinking about how I add value at work and then matching that to how you spend your time at work, Mm -hmm. they don't line up, right? Like I add value by coaching my team and, you know, Determining, translating strategy into concrete work objectives. And then you look at, like, how does my calendar match up against that? And it's like, well, I don't actually do that. So, right, right. Then you start thinking about it from a learning perspective. It's like, how do I learn to coach my team better? Like, are there books and resources that I can look at that would better help me coach my team? And then you start changing your calendar to line up to those levers, and the results will just be enormous. And then what ends up happening. I would say 90% of the time is that once you start learning about it because we get so stagnant, right? We stop learning about things. We, we stop kind of trying to apply. Once we get to some base competency, we just kind of wing it really most of the time. Most people don't want to admit that and we don't want to call out people on it because we're constantly worried that we'll be called out on that. And then, so once you learn these things and you get some positive feedback and momentum, then you become curious about other subjects. And once you become curious about other subjects, like Farnham Street is your home on the internet, um, if you're curious about everything in the world from philosophy and <laughs> history and art to yeah. mental models, right? And right. that's what we're trying to be for people, which is adding those tools, adding the context, talking about not only decision making and innovation, but exploring the big questions of life, like what does it mean to live a better life? What does it mean to live? And there's no one answer. There's no like, theory that's going to work for everybody because we're all unique. And then we talk about mental models, which is kind of the overarching framework for how we synthesize the world. Because you want the world to do the work for you. You don't want to be doing that. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of, of different ways of looking at
0: things. We've talked a lot about context and a lot about decisions and a lot about just really trying to understand uh, where you find value and understanding why and how you can do more of those things. And uh, some really good advice on you know how to arrange your schedule around uh, the The value that you're capable of creating instead of trying to cram the value into an arbitrary schedule and how to how to make your decisions happen uh, in the best part of the day for the energy you need to make that decision well. And so there's a ton of things to try to digest here. And uh, it's been really, really useful. Uh, do you have anything else, any any final advice that you would have for somebody who is just uh, – yeah, for, for anybody?
1: Totally. Can, can I throw out two of my yeah. favorite quotes that I think sure. apply to everybody uh, in different ways? But the first is by Joseph Tussman. And what he said is, what the pupil must learn if he learns anything at all is that the world will do most of the work for you, provided you cooperate with it by identifying how it works – and align yourself with those realities. And if we don't do that, he says, the world will teach us a lesson. So that that's about understanding reality and adapting yourself to reality, no matter how painful that reality is against your preconceived notions. And then the second one, which was, Andy Benoit, who's a a writer in Sports Illustrated, he has an amazing quote that applies to fitness, it applies to life, and it's so underappreciated because we're always seeking complexity. And what he says is, most geniuses, especially those who lead others, prosper not by deconstructing intricate complexities, but by exploiting unrecognized simplicities. Super cool. I think that's the foundation of what we're trying to do at Farnham Street.
0: Awesome. To to find the underlying simplicities and, and learn how to exploit them that's excellent. So, where should people look if they are more interested in hearing from you and and learning from you?
1: Uh you can google Shane Parrish or uh just go to furnumstreetblog.com which is F A R N A M blog.com and uh yeah, I think you'd love it. Check it out.
0: Cool. Well, thank you very much Shane and uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Andy. For more great info, join us over at gmb.io and be sure to check us out on iTunes and YouTube.